uh, one of the last guests I listened to uh, talked about being a, a test your limits kind of person. And that's kind of who I am. Like a lot of the work I do is still behind a desk. And so I'm not necessarily happy just sitting here staring at a screen. Like I want to get out there and really push myself to, to see what I can do. And that applies to running, that applies to the work I do, that applies to relationships, all of it. So I knew a marathon probably wasn't going to be enough after I ran first. Welcome to For the Long Run, the podcast exploring the why behind what keeps runners running long, strong, and motivated. I'm your host, Jonathan Levitt. Through personal and professional connections in the running world, I have the privilege of getting to know some amazing athletes. I've always been fascinated by the psychological aspects of running and what helps people to achieve success, however they define it. And this podcast is aimed at exploring this and much more. I hope you enjoy. As a New Englander, I'm always excited to see brands from the area who are doing good in the world and doing good for our running community. That's why we're thrilled to say that this episode is sponsored by Darn Tough, started, manufactured, and headquartered in Vermont. And they're still family owned, bringing us awesome socks to keep our feet feeling warm and dry. You may know of Darn Tough for their durability and warmth, but did you know that they have a whole line of running socks to keep you staying dry and comfortable for the long run? Darn Tough's running socks are incredibly durable, especially in high wear areas. They're made with breathable mesh, are ultra lightweight, and they're incredibly comfortable. You might be thinking, aren't their socks made of wool? Won't that be too hot on my feet? Well, it turns out that merino wool socks are perfect for keeping your feet at the ideal temperature and dry, regardless if you're running in the cold or hot weather. In fancy words, wool helps with thermoregulation. I've been a fan of and running in darn tough socks for years now, and we're stoked to work with them to bring great gear to you too. Get a pair of your own at the link in the show notes and be sure to use the code FTLR-BESTSOCK10 for 10% off. We are proud to announce the newest sponsor of the podcast, Scratch Labs. Scratch Labs is a local Boulder-based sports nutrition brand known not just for their awesome sports nutrition products, but for their love of science and the community. I'll share a bit more about their products and how I use them. But for now, thank you to Scratch for supporting the podcast. Scratch will be a partner of the podcast this summer. And as always, supporting the brands that support the podcast helps to keep this machine rolling. You can use the code FTLR20 for 20% off all Scratch products through their website via the link in the show notes. You know that a big part of my life is optimization. I optimize for time, optimize for efficiency, and try to always optimize for my health and training. That's why I'm so excited to welcome our newest brand partner, Two Before. But what's Two Before? There's natural sports nutrition supplement made from New Zealand blackcurrant berries. These are the most researched berries in the world, and those studies are showing that these berries have exceptionally high antioxidant levels, and they're proven to enhance athletic performance. That's gonna be a hell yes for me. These wonder berries, which is what I'm starting to call them, improve endurance, help kickstart recovery, and strengthen immunity. What athlete doesn't want all of that? So how can you use these in your daily routine? I take a serving before every single run. So go ahead and try out some two before. The code FTLR will save you 30% on 20, 10, and multi-serve packs. And remember that supporting our brand partners helps to support the podcast as well. That's twobefore.com, number two before.com and code FTLR. And welcome back. We have Elliot Beach joining us on the podcast today. Elliot, thanks so much for taking some time to chat. Yeah, thanks for letting me be here, Jonathan. Of course. 
Uh, we're recording this around the Boston Marathon, so apologies if I call you Elliot by by accident. But uh, first question: Who is Elliot? Oh man, that's that's the big one. Um, Elliot is a husband. He's a dog dad, as I was pointing out. My uh, my beautiful dog tour pup. Um, <laughs> that's a physician dog, to be clear. Yes. Uh, I would call myself an avid hobby jogger, definitely back middle of the pack, but just love running. Um, and then as I was telling you earlier, a fraternity professional, which uh, raises some eyebrows sometimes, but that uh, I feel like that's a good all-encompassing me. Let's start with that. What is a fraternity professional? We've never had any other fraternity professionals on the podcast, so this is the first. Yeah. For me, it's the the unique job. I am the one that is kind of realistically, all of us in the fraternity and sorority space are working to combat what you see in the headlines. My role specifically deals a lot with that. So I serve my official titles, Director of Accountability, dealing with all things health and safety. So working to educate undergraduate men on kind of essentially public health issues. So over-intoxication, drinking, drug use, um, drinking and driving, safe relationships, healthy relationships. So that's kind of a, a broad spectrum of what I do, but I was fortunate to have a really good experience when I was in undergrad and wanted to help support a healthy and safe experience for, for future individuals. And you said you do a lot of traveling for work as well. How does that, how does yeah. that play in? Um, it's a, a unique piece, especially considering uh, being a, I don't know if 30 is, is young, but being a relatively young-ish, semi-newlywed. It's young. It's young. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I'm 32. 30 is young, and so is 32. (laughs) Okay. I was about to say, I don't know if I've ever heard uh, how old you are, so that that makes me feel good that we can call ourselves young. Um, But my wife being a doctor just throws a lot of wrench in a lot of plans because I'm the last minute. uh, When stuff's hitting the fan, I'm the one that's flying on last-minute flights to who knows where. And so fortunately, at this point, we don't have children. But even with a, a dog trying to fly and then figure out dog plans is a, a lot to deal with sometimes. So it's fun to see new places. It's fun to run new places, but travel sometimes wears you down. What type of doctor is she? She's a first-year resident, so technically a medical intern, but she's in internal medicine and then wants to go into geriatrics for a fellowship. Cool. And this is mostly a running podcast, though on some episodes we barely... <laughs> talk about running it seems which is fun and awesome um so let's talk about running or we'll start with running um how long have you been a runner um define runner for me someone who runs uh technically since i was probably about six if you ask my parents uh they i was a leash child so ever since i was able to to get up and move in i was getting lost and running away from my family um, in terms of what I would categorize as a runner, probably not until about my senior year of college. So about eight years now. In that final year, I was student teaching, wanted to be a teacher back in the day and volunteered for the cross-country team because my cooperating teacher was the head coach. Um, and that really kickstarted it. My wife in college was also a big runner. So she would wake me up hungover and force me to run a few miles on on a Saturday or Sunday, um, but really dove into it. I would probably attribute it to the pandemic. There's wasn't much else to do. Gyms were closed and started hitting the roads a lot. And then eventually signed up and got in for Chicago training was an absolutely abysmal wreck. Uh, and then immediately after that, having not even run Chicago signed up for my first 50 K 
tried to convince people to run a 50 miler with me. My Delta Sig CEO, the organization I work for, uh, was supposed to run it for me and then backed out two weeks ahead. So ran it all by myself, no support, and then been headlong into running annoyingly long distances ever since. So you fell fast. Yes. I remember after or signing up for the 50 miler before I ran for Chicago, one of the guys in our run club down here in Oxford was like, shouldn't you uh, wait to see how you do with the marathon? I was like, nah, not my style, not what I do. How come? I'm an all in. I think it's a mixture of personality. I think I very much have an addictive personality when, when I find something, it's either all or nothing. So I, as soon as I signed up and got in for Chicago, it was learning everything possible, doing everything I could to, to be at least a halfway decent runner that I would at least find somewhat respectable. And okay, so you line up at the Chicago start line. How are you feeling? Oh, terrible, terrible. <laughs> I, I, I made every first timer's mistake. Um, I got into Chicago. It was probably, I think, Thursday. Uh, ended up at the wrong stop on the L, climbed up and down the stairs to the different stations way too many times with probably like 60 pounds of luggage. So I was like doing weighted lunges for a while. And then I just remember my quads were wrecked by the time I got to my hotel. I was not weight training or anything. And then didn't hit a, a single solid long run or paced run. So I felt terrible, but was excited to be there, but was uh, a few too many corrals up. And you finished. I did. Almost quit at mile 16, but powered through and decided it was acceptable to walk. And so you finish, and how do you feel? Besides wrecked. Oh, uh, wrecked is still just it. Um, I was thankful for the finish because I always remind myself, I think one of the messages that you talk about and some of the other guests talk about is just the, the message of gratitude. And I always try to remind myself just how grateful I am and how fortunate I am to be able to to do what it is in terms of running. There are people that can't run, don't run, and don't understand kind of how how awesome an experience it is. And so even if I ended up walking probably four of the last eight miles, uh, it was still an accomplishment that a lot of people don't even have the opportunity to achieve. So you finished Chicago and you're like, wow, I'm wrecked, but I'm also grateful. I want to go further. <laughs> yes. Yes. Talk to me about that. Um, I think some of it was just came down to knowing that there's so much more in the human body. That's what I tell a lot of people too, that there's our bodies can do so much more than, than we let them. And so I think some of it I knew, some of the lack of ability to run at Chicago was due to poor training, but some of it came down to the mental space. So I'm very much a, a challenge my limits, I think the last guest, or I don't know when you timed these out, but one of the last guests I listened to uh, talked about being a, a test your limits kind of person. And that's kind of who I am. Like a lot of the work I do is still behind a desk. And so I'm not necessarily happy just sitting here staring at a screen. Like I want to get out there and really push myself to, to see what I can do. And that applies to running, that applies to the work I do, that applies to relationships, all of it. So I knew a marathon probably wasn't going to be enough after I ran the first. I was talking with Hayden Hawks about this the other day, about desk jockeys who love endurance events. And it's like, there's a lot of research on this and articles in Outside Magazine and all these different publications that look at the rate of marathon and endurance activity in like white collar workers 
people who work jobs that like aren't physically challenging and are potentially in a place in life where like they're not really challenged in general. And this skews male. Um, and it's like a fascinating, like to be blunt on it, it's like a life isn't hard enough. So let's choose to make it hard. <laughs> and that's like, yeah. that's what the research yes. has found is that, that these people are choosing to do it. And, and like, myself included to a, to a degree as well. And it's just, it's so interesting that, so human nature is to like be comfortable. Homeostasis is like, you're safe. You have a roof over your head. You have food on your table. You have people that love you. And like, that's the bare minimum of what, what is required to survive. But most people that we associate with aren't interested in like just surviving. We want to be thriving. We want to be improving. We want to be optimizing and like doing all these things through running. Right. Yeah. It's pretty wild if you think about it. Yeah. And I wonder too, and one of the, I I'm overly anxious about every aspect of my life too. That's another random fact. So I have some random notes over here too, that I wanted to, to touch on. But one of the things I always, that I've heard a few times that you talked about is this idea of imposter syndrome. And I'm, wondering how much of that plays in that we hear so much from our parents, grandparents, um, people around us that, oh, our lives are so much harder. Like you don't have it that bad not to play trauma Olympics. But I wonder how much maybe some of that imposter syndrome plays in that our parents had it so much worse. Like, am I failing at life, at my job, at my relationship, at being a man, whatever that actually means, if I'm just sitting behind a desk? And so I wonder... What what do you think on that? I mean, the imposter syndrome. It, first, I love when people like spin it around and ask questions on the podcast. So thank you. Um, I think that everyone deals with imposter syndrome, and sorry, I don't think I know because okay, maybe not everyone, but the number of highly successful professional athletes that have sat on the on the other side of this conversation and said their experience with imposter syndrome. And these are people who went to the Olympics. These are people who won medals at the Olympics. It's bizarre how it's like permeated everything. And so to answer your question more specifically, I don't know if it's a generational thing that we all feel this way, but maybe it is in that like we use social media in a way that others don't or other generations might not have in that we grew up without it and we have it now. And so we know both sides of it. Our parents didn't grow up with it. We grew up with it. The people younger than us like came out of the womb with it. And yeah. the whole experience has been seeing a highlight reels of everyone all the time. And so I wonder if if it's this generational imposter syndrome is due to the fact that like the perception is that everything is awesome all the time and if you're not busy and successful and getting promotions and having babies and getting married and like doing all these things that are like conventionally expected of people in their thirties and forties, then you're a failure. And and it's just like, it's not the truth. Right. But maybe that's it. Absolutely. And that's something I've talked to. I have a coworker. She's, she's in her forties. We'll, we'll say, and she's just now having her first child. I have another that's in her mid thirties just now pregnant, going to have her first child. And so a lot of times, like my wife and I, like I said, just bought our house. Like we, she's a doctor. Like I feel pretty comfortable professionally feeling successful, but there's still times too. I think like 
my parents had, I think all three of like me, I have two other siblings had all three of us. They had their house. They like were doing all kinds of things. And I think there's so much of that. Like what, what am I actually doing without hitting all these other like societal norms? And so it's just one of those things that you can tailspin so easily if, if you don't like pause and just realize like we're not racing anyone in this life. Like you, it's you and that's it. So we run marathons to have control over the the lack of control in other places. Yes, yes. I think that is that is the whole running fills that there's whether it's my choice or my choice. Uh, if I don't want to run, that's my choice. If I do want to run, that's my choice. I think running helps to to fill that void and helps me have some semblance of control uh, when a lot of other parts of my life are well outside of mine. It's fascinating. I've talked with a lot of people who are addicts of other varieties or with alcohol or with um, sexual abuse and running for them is that control is the way that they describe it. Like you can choose to stop at any time. I think it was like episode six, Devin Yanko is the guest. She hosts her own podcast and it's fantastic. And she's very open about her experience on a basketball team in high school and experiencing sexual abuse and running ended up being her way of controlling what she could control. And she's gone on, she's 40 plus now, and she's gone on to have like this incredible running career from Amazing. the mile to the hundred mile distance and everything in between. And it's so fascinating when you can take something that's like objectively not a good thing and let it fuel you into doing something meaningful to yourself which is still hard, <laughs> still hard and uncomfortable. But again, like we, we are choosing this discomfort and we can also stop it at any time. Well, I think especially because some of my, not that I have any actual background in like a public health sphere, but a lot of the work I do is in kind of talking about addiction. And so I always wonder what, what is that trade-off? I know we talk about it a lot. What is the actual trade-off or the mental impact of you deal with this serious thing, whether it is that alcohol or drug addiction, background in sexual abuse, and then you're trading it with running, which depending on the situation can be just as harmful to you. Do you actually have that much control over it? Does your body let you escape? Or is it turning into that additional addiction that you need to keep driving more and more and more? And I think for some folks like Devin, that probably more than fine, you have that control. But especially for those people that maybe don't have a coach or don't have that adequate support system, are they able to to pull off the gas to keep themselves safe and healthy? Yeah. I mean, I look at all these people. I don't, I'm going to say something that I, maybe I'll regret, but it's okay. <laughs> I don't think run streaks are, um, okay. I'm going to caveat this to say if, if run streaks are your source of motivation and it's a meaningful thing for you, I think that's valuable. I don't think it can be in tandem with performance goals. You you cannot have performance goals and a run streak. I think that's I think that's true for the most part. But we look at people who do it and I'm like is that the best way to experience this sport? And perhaps there's some aspect of of addiction in there. And like I am someone who has addictive tendencies. And maybe that's why I don't like run streaks because I know that it would not serve me well and I would run myself into the ground and 
I would burn myself out if I were to do it. I, I must have rest days. I must have, you know, this and that. And it's it's fascinating to see how people go through different periods of running. But like, if you don't enable yourself or, or give your body what it needs or or trust the process and when where the process includes like rest and recovery, I find it hard to be sustainably good or good in a sustainable manner. But maybe not everyone is aspiring to be good. Maybe they just want to be consistent and and yeah. have it really suck sometimes. Yeah, I think good to put the caveat just since we're uh, probably two weeks removed from Camille Heron absolutely smashing the the forty eight hour record. And I, if I remember right, she keeps a pretty wicked daily streak. But no, I think you're you're definitely onto it. That but for, that's that's different. Yes, she's an outlier <laughs> for sure. And she's done hundred mile weeks for the last twenty years. Yes, and so for her, it's it's truly a different story. And one mile for her is basically like a rest day. Yeah, yeah. And I, for an average Joe like me, like I was trying to keep a, a streak for a long time before I. I feel like I got more serious and understood my body a little bit more. But that's the right point. in the yeah in the the peak of grad school got COVID and still for the first I think it was probably three to five days tried to to keep the streak alive. And I was doing, I think minimum three miles was kind of my marker. And then I think somewhere in there, I was just like, one, this is unsafe, potentially risking some people around me. Two, I feel like crap. Like what what am I doing? And like what it, what is the greater purpose of this? Like if it's to keep up the street, cool, but I might end up in the hospital because I'm doing something super idiotic. Right. So I think so much of it just comes down to some of that actual like self-awareness. And like you said, there are some just larger beings out there that are able to kick ass and do it no matter what. Totally. And that's why I kind of put that caveat, but I do think it's like the most polarizing take I <laughs> consistently have. So, I mean, I do enjoy watching some people tear down some run streaks and keep it up, but I, I'm just past I like that. watching My body it. can't do it. I like watching it. Look, Candace Burt is is running. She's oh on 150 God. plus. That's- I've seen her out here in Boulder doing it, and she just looks like she's in a world of hurt. Yeah. And I'm like, is this fun? I hope it's fun. <laughs> it's. I mean, I've been running for eight years now, and I'm I'm past the point of like taking the criticism of how are your knees, but Candace, how are your knees? Like that, <laughs> like you said, that cannot be a good time at this point. That's one thing for a, a Camille Heron, like. Or whoever one mile a day streak versus what what day did you say she's at 100 and some 150 31 miles yeah. that's just otherworldly yeah and she said she's going for 200 and and that seems far away and i'm like oh well, that's like a more than a thousand miles away so anyway but the point is hopefully it's bringing her satisfaction and joy yes. and at the end of the day like who are we to evaluate this it's not our choice. Um, it's just fun to watch. And again, hopefully she's enjoying it. Um, yes. Okay, let's talk about something other than run streaks. I started talking about fasted training on another podcast and the, the internet cut out. Um, <laughs> I was like, this is this is my sign that the internet doesn't want to hear about fasted training today. So <laughs> we're not going to talk about it. So funny that the the connection didn't drop during that conversation right there. Yes. It, well, that implies this will save right after we're done. But totally. I did a podcast on Sunday and 
every form of technology failed. So the first 50 episodes of this were all done in person. Then the pandemic hit. I did about 200 virtual with, I don't know, like six or eight in person. And I, I finally opened up, opened up, like created a studio in my house. And I was like, great, I'll have no more tech issues because I can control everything. I've had people show up in coffee shops. I've had people show up with cats meowing. Um, you know, in a, in a room with no furniture. So it sounds like, a you know, like you're in a submarine um, and everything in between. And so I'm like, okay, great. This will be great with, with having this room. I record one. It was fine. Except for the fact that like I cut her forehead off in the video of it. Um, and I go to record the second one. It's a little bit warmer in the room. And so I, I use a Sony camera pointed at the guest and a GoPro pointed at me. I'm into two mics going into GarageBand, which pulls onto the computer, of course. And with the first episode, I recorded as a backup on my phone. I was like, just in case the first one gets screwed up. It didn't. It was great. Second one, it was a little warmer in the room. The Sony died and the GoPro overheated and died as well. Um, At the same time, I was like, I have a sneaking suspicion that the garage band is not pulling audio and that I'm not recording any audio, but it'll be fine because I have the cameras and then those cameras died. So all technology failed. (laughs) All of it. So let's not make jokes. (laughs) If you've been enjoying this podcast and can spare 90 seconds of your time today, can you do me a favor? Can you pop over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review? It helps other people find and enjoy the podcast too. Thanks so much. We are proud to be sponsored by a local Boulder-based sports nutrition company that we all know and love, Scratch Labs. As you may know, last year I went to their facility here in Boulder and got a sweat test done. They were able to tell me how much salt I'm losing during a workout and recommend sports nutrition from there. Long story short, I'm a salty sweater and need to replenish perhaps more than the average person. But that's not all. About a year ago, I started working with sports dietitian Kylie Van Horn. Kylie is the owner of Fly Nutrition and a coach within Microcosm. I was having a lot of GI issues pre-run and during the run, so David, my coach, suggested I work on nutrition with Kylie. I switched my nutrition pre-run to purely liquid fueling, and while that didn't solve 100% of what I'd been dealing with, it sure has helped. Fast forward a year and more, and Scratch's products have helped kept me fueled and energized through plenty of strong workouts and long runs, as well as some big adventure days in the mountains. Their super high carb mix is exactly that. It's full of what you need and goes down super smooth. When you give your body what it needs, you'll truly enjoy it for the long run. You can grab energy bars, chews, hydration mix, recovery drink mix, and super high carb drink mixes for your big days from scratch to fuel your training and upcoming adventures. I use the lemon lime super high carb mix every single day. I use a half serving within an hour of all morning runs, and it's my main fuel source for road long runs. For trail adventures, I use a couple servings in my bottles and supplement that with the chews or other fun trail snacks. You can use the code FTLR20 for 20% off your order at the link in the show notes. Thanks again to Scratch for supporting the show. We're all constantly looking for ways to improve our performances. One thing we truly love about this community is our determination to always be getting better and go hard at whatever goals we may have. Our partners over at 2Before help us continue to grow and expand our athletic capabilities through their New Zealand blackcurrant berries. But John, how can berries from New Zealand help me improve my performance? I'm glad you asked, podcast listener. The thing that got me hooked was a meta-analysis I read of 16 studies on New Zealand blackcurrants that found a strong performance benefit with no negatives. 
combining the blackcurrant powder with four to eight ounces of water or whatever liquid you prefer helps you increase your blood flow, making it more efficient for your body to pump that good oxygenated nutrient-rich blood into your muscles, improving your endurance. It also helps to reduce muscle soreness and helps manage inflammation. I've also been using it to help keep my immune system riding high with all the trails, roads, and planes that I'm on. Go on over to twobefore.com to grab some for yourself with the code FTLR to save 30% on 20, 10, and multi-serve packs. Thanks again to the team over at Two Before for supporting this community. That's Two Before, number two before.com. What's a, what do you get out of this podcast experience? I don't know if you've been asked this, but what, why are you doing this? That's yeah, been so, my curiosity for a lot of people because honestly, this all just seems like a pain. So I love it. So I was I was talking with Kara uh, this morning on the run. Who it's like every run I go on with her is like a podcast in and of itself. In that, like, it's just so fun to listen to her talk. And I I was reflecting on a conversation that I had in that same spot on the trail with Hayden, where I asked him why does he want to win Western States, and he gave me like. A textbook answer. And I was like, okay, but like, really, why do you want to win Western States? And he told me that it made him think and it made him think and it made him think. And he's like still thinking about this. And we've talked about it a little bit since then. But I, I find the, the, the question why or and, and just like prying further, not prying, but like digging further than where people are used to mm-hmm. answering and asking questions that don't generally get asked for the purpose of learning. Like I very intentionally surround myself with people who have done objectively awesome things and they subjectively also have done awesome things. Like they would define what they've done as awesome, um, not just winning medals and blah, blah, blah. And the reason I do this is because of this law of you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. I want to spend time with people who can help me be better and vice versa. And if I'm ever the smartest person in the room, or if you're ever the smartest person in the room, in the get the hell room. out of that room. Yeah. And so I'm incredibly intentional with the the people I spend my time with. And so what this results in is I have really interesting conversations with people who have done really cool things and have mastered excellence and the process around excellence. And I want to share that. So I've done, I don't know, I released 255 episodes and I've so um, Kevin Rutherford, the CEO of Noon, probably episode 150, he was like, man, why are you still doing this? And I said, because every single episode, every single time I get on with someone, I learn something. And as soon as that stops happening, and like my goal with the podcast is like not what's operationally happening, then maybe I'll move on from it. But I'm still learning. And hopefully those of you who are listening are still learning. And I'm in this unique place where like I work on the brand side and I have a podcast and I know all these interesting people and I just like have an interesting position in the sport and in the space. And I feel if I didn't take advantage of that, it would be wasted. And so it's like this extreme privilege of my network mixed with the ability to like actually execute a podcast and afford to pay all these people who help make it happen. Um, and it's fun. <laughs> I really just enjoy the conversations. 
Well, I'll uh, preemptively apologize if this is the episode that leads to you shutting down if you learn <laughs> nothing today. So, sorry, fans. No, it's it's the kind of thing where like we we've never had a, like a an in depth conversation prior to the last twenty eight minutes, and. I find that so fascinating, right? Like we got on and I was like, I don't know what I'm going to talk about with him today. Maybe we'll talk about running and some other stuff. And, and to me, it's like, it's the art of conversation. It's the practice. Like when was the last time you sat down and talked for 20 minutes straight without looking at your phone? Probably a work meeting today, honestly, <laughs> not to, not to break the point of that question. Damn. That's uh, yeah. Okay. Um, for most people, they would say, I don't know. Certainly for me, it it basically only happens in this podcast or when I'm FaceTiming with my girlfriend. And those are like the only times when I feel totally focused on one thing. And it's like therapeutic to me to like sit and have this back and forth in this environment where we're so like con- hyper connected that like we've actually lost connection because of how connected we are. Absolutely. That's not Comcast's that's- uh, sign to drop the connection. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's something too. And I wouldn't attribute our connection necessarily entirely to running, but that's one of the things I appreciate so much about running is the the easy community that just is involved. Like when I first moved to Oxford, that was literally the first thing I looked up is let me find a, a way to connect with people. Running was the easiest way to do that. And same thing, I just ran the, the three days of Silamo, uh, which I'll share my, my victory oh, that's rock. Cool. Um, Shout out to this, and, uh, this if you're watching it on YouTube. <laughs> yes. But I went, again, my wife uh, doesn't travel with me for races. I can't convince her to go to the middle of nowhere, Arkansas, unfortunately. Um, but went there knowing no one, no crew, no pacers, and was still able to connect with some awesome, awesome people. And the core thing that we had going was running. And that's one thing I, I love about this community, whether it's road racing, I'll especially point it to, to trail and ultra community. But there's just such a community around running, no matter what. Like you're in Boulder, I'm in Oxford, Mississippi. That's thousands of miles apart. And yet we're still able to connect over this platform and over a shared love of something. What's the running community like in Mississippi? Um, in Oxford specifically, it's very road heavy. Um, it takes a lot to get any elevation gain. Um, so I'm a little unique in my ultra running tendencies right now, but it's a, a really good community and it's really cool. And in your way of talking about how you're running with Kara and being able to essentially almost pull a podcast every day. I get to run with college professors in like poli sci departments and the chemistry department. Um, a couple that run some nail salons down in New Orleans. And so being able to connect with just such a, a diverse and interesting group is just a lot of fun. But it's it's a pretty good and vast community here in Oxford specifically. So I love this comment around, I moved there and I searched for community. One of the questions that I get more frequently than not on social media is like, how do I find community in my XYZ? I just moved to blah, blah, blah. How do I build a network of running friends here? I don't really know the answer to that question because it's like, I use social media to do this. And like when I go somewhere, I know five to 10 people in that place and I just message them and then we, then we go for a run. And so for me, it like comes second nature. I'm curious like tactically, what did you do when you moved to Oxford that has enabled you 
to give that answer the way that you just gave it in that like yeah. you love the place and there are people around you that have similar pursuits and, and interests. Yeah, I think from a, a very literal sense, it's that same format of I use social media. We have a Facebook group for our run club, so it's an easy kind of search running Oxford. Um, from a less literal sense, I think there's some level of vulnerability we always have to have anytime we're moving somewhere new. I'm a big fan of Reddit, and I see it every now and then that someone's like, oh, tried to go out with a run club in a new place, and they had their social circles. And sometimes you've, you've just got to break in. like You've got to put yourself out there. And so that's something that may not feel super comfortable, but if you're not willing to be uncomfortable, you're never going to really honestly succeed in general, but especially succeed in building community. You have to be comfortable being uncomfortable if you want to move forward. So... Yeah, I love that. Um, I got started with running with a group called November Project in Boston. And their thing was come for, I don't know, it was like four weeks. Two weeks, you show up and people don't really notice you. Three weeks, maybe. Four weeks, they're like, oh, this person is here again. And and so it's like showing that you're committed. And that's, to me, that's how you like break into these yep. social circles where um, it's not going to happen. I mean, unless you're like a complete wallflower and everyone loves you right off the bat, which is definitely like a unique scenario to be in. Um, and certainly not the case for me. Um, I don't think wallflower is the right word. Wallflower is like if you're boring. I've and- never read the book, so I can't, <laughs> uh, I'm not going to speak outside my lane. Yeah, we've got no, no perks to talk about. Um, <laughs> okay, so anyway, the point the point is like it, the secret to anything is consistency, but the secret to, to building community or like immersing yourself in a community is like commit to going somewhere four times, the same class, the same group, the same evening, the same, like whatever it is so that you get the other people that are, that are there at that time, I guess. Absolutely. And I think some that um, being a, again, a fraternity professional and being in a fraternity and undergrad, it's one of the things that we teach a lot is just putting yourself out there. So much of what we do in college, even as just like children on the playground, is just like being willing to go up to someone, introduce yourself. And again, especially when it comes to something like a, a shared interest that you're literally going to run with someone, it can be a lot easier if you're just willing to, to share your name and say what you're doing. And I think we, we overcomplicate running and building relationship and building communities sometimes. And I think it's just as easy as like put yourself out there, introduce yourself and be willing to to talk. Totally. And everyone craves it. And it's like a fundamental need, even if you're an introvert. So there's that. I want to switch back to more, more of a focus on the ultras that you're doing. Um, are you training for anything at the moment? Um, loosely defined training. Um, I have a, <laughs> is there a goal ultra? in mind? Okay. <laughs> a backyard a, ultra. That's like a serious yeah. endeavor. Yeah, I have a backyard on Saturday, actually. So I've actually stacked some races. I did three days of Silomo probably about three weeks ago. I have this backyard Saturday and then a half marathon two weeks after Saturday. So not truly training for any of them, which sounds pretentious and like, oh, I'm, I'm just going there, have a good time. But I loved, I did a backyard in October and again, just loved the community of it. I showed up again with no one. Uh, with very little, no experience, no idea what I'm doing. And after four loops, um, one of the other people that was running dropped and he was like, hey, do you have anyone here to support you? 
And he was, I was like, no. And then he was like, well, I'm your crew now. What do you need? And so he loaded me up with like a Red Bull, PB&J, like literally like gave wow. me everything I needed to, to help keep going for another like four hours. And so I forget what your initial question was, but there. <laughs> you answered it. Um, the next question is, for those who don't know, can you define what a, what a Backyard Ultra is? Yeah. So um, for maybe some of the listeners or watchers that are uh, familiar, Lazarus Lake or Gary Cantrell is the, the mastermind behind Barkley. And he's also the mastermind behind the, the Backyard Ultra format, 4.167 miles every hour on the hour until no one can go again or only one runner can finish a loop. So. Uh, a good format. I think his mentality was that it kind of evens the playing field, men, women, uh, young, old, as long as you can run a 4.167 mile loop in like, I think it's 14 something. Um, you can be competitive in it. And you've done it before you said, yeah. Yeah. October. Uh, how many hours did you do? Uh, seven and then DNF on the eighth. So about 30, 29 official 33 unofficial. What is it like starting a race or an event? I guess it's more of an event, not a race. It's a competition where you don't know how far you're going to go. Uh, it is it is something. Um, I don't know how to say it beyond that. It's <laughs> There's so much between the your physical self, your mental self, and then also just the... There's eventually some mind games that get into it. I didn't get there. Um, but in one of the group chats I'm in, they were talking about a last man standing race they were doing. And talked about the last two runners were leaving and the eventual winner shouted back after the first like hundred meters of walking shouted his order back to the the aid station crew and the other person dropped because of it. And so there's some bit <laughs> you know, your shots. To, yeah. <laughs> so there's some bit where you have to, you, you got to put the literal legwork in, but there's some bit where you can't let the other people know that you're about to drop this next lap if they go on, or you put out something like that. Like you're calling in a pizza to meet you at your car when you finish the loops, you can load up. So it's a, it's a bear, but I think that's again, when we're talking about challenges, like a hundred miles, a challenge a 50 miles, a challenge, but I would argue that not knowing how far you're about to go is probably the greatest challenge of all. How do you know when to drop? Um, I think in the last one I did, cause I was going to say, I refer, used to drop at that time but i was literally walking backwards on the course to to quit um and then got picked up by another runner and she wanted to finish out with me so uh i knew i was just gonna time out and so my legs just weren't weren't there for it and looking back i definitely could have finished i was on pace to finish that loop you're on pace to fail but um could have finished out but i think it's my mentality was just make it to the start line again. Don't, don't time out. Don't let yourself quit. Just get back on the start line. And then if you time out, you time out, but don't quit on yourself. I'm thinking about it and I'm like, mm, this sounds fun. <laughs> but it's <laughs> such a cool challenge. I absolutely loved it. I, I'm technically been signed up for three this year. So I had one that I had to drop from due to injury in January. I have this one and then I'm running uh, one in september and then might sign up for another one in august because i love the format versus an outright 50k 50 mile etc yeah interesting <laughs> interesting is definitely a word for this it's a wild time you if you haven't done one yet it's at least a, a once in a life experience i think there are a lot of things i do once 
that that's probably one of them <laughs> it's uh you can combine a lot of onces with a, a backyard ultra Just what are some of the other skydive in and then get started <laughs> i will never skydive i'll tell you that much so i'm, I'm going to cancel that idea mm. i feel like i was I forget where it popped up, but they have this like skydive ultra where you literally skydive and then I think you run to the start and start whatever race distance. So I think they had everything from a 5k up to a hundred miler, but it seemed like such a, a wild uh, concept. So I'm afraid of heights, which rules out quite a lot of opportunities in the trail running world. However, the first and only time I did rim to rim to rim, I forgot how steep it was. And we started <laughs> in the we started in the dark. And so by the time the sun came up, uh, I also don't like running at night. And so by the, the time the sun came up, we were at the bottom and going up um, into Phantom Ranch. And so then we start going flat or it's not really flat but like uphill ish and it's like a nice meadow at the base of the canyon i'm like this is great so much better and then you start get to get to the north rim and there are these massive drops but then we turned around and came back and then as we started climbing back up i was like are you kidding me i came down this in the dark this is terrifying um so the mind is a is a crazy little uh crazy little thing not to get too psychological, what do you think about heights? Is it that you're afraid of? Is it the fall? The Do you have a fear of death? What is it about heights specifically? Oh, that's an interesting question. It's just like a, it's like a, first of all, I think it's a very valid fear because it's, <laughs> it's a protection or a coping mechanism, yes. right? Like humans aren't meant to fall down thousand foot cliffs. So we are afraid of them. Not everyone, but um, I think it's the, and I think about this time, this every time I take the train through the Denver airport and I'm just like leaning against the door as we're like going 30 miles an hour. And if the door were to open, I would fall out of the train, but I'm totally fine standing right there. Yeah. But the safety is the door. And if the door malfunction, I fall out of the train and die. Very morbid thing to think right, when you're about to get on a plane. But anyway. Yes. Um, I think it's, I think it's the, um, and I wonder if it's trainable, right? Previous topic, um, pun intended, not intended. Um, do you think that you can overcome a fear of heights through exposure therapy? Probably. I'm betting. Yes. I had a, probably would say I still do have a pretty significant fear of heights as a kid, like any, even small roller coaster, any of the like kid roller coasters would leave me in tears. And now I um, wouldn't necessarily say I'm like an avid roller coaster rider, but I can do those fine. I love flying. I'm all about challenging it. And I think, again, some of it comes down to that testing our limits and pushing ourselves to, to go beyond. So I think that's one of those things that I've intentionally trained myself or tried to push myself to, to get outside of that. Because that also potentially leads to missing out on some really cool opportunities. I know I'd be terrified if I wanted to go skydiving, but I know that's an opportunity and experience that I really want to do to continue to, to push my own boundaries and see what, what else is out there. There's so much that our fears can take away from us if we don't push ourselves reasonably. For sure. Um, okay, so question about what you just said related to limits and boundaries and pushing beyond. So your next Backyard Ultra is in a couple of weeks. Wow, what, how's your mindset? Saturday. So, right, sorry, Saturday. Um, oh yeah, that's in two days. 
your next backyard ultra is in less than 48 hours. Um, how's your mindset around it? And what are you, what are you going to be thinking about at the start line? Um, I'm probably going to be thinking why the hell is it raining? Uh, cause it's supposed to rain and I'm not excited. Uh, but I think again, some of it's just the, the gratitude to be able to get there. Like I'm after three days of Silomo, I was beat up like my foot. I thought I like had a stress fracture, uh, perks of having a, a doctor spouse, um, confirmed I did not. Uh, but I think it's just the, again, the gratitude of just being able to tow the start line and being grateful for, for potentially a pretty cool experience with some more people that I've never met before. Um, so I think that's going to be the, the biggest part is just the excitement of another new adventure that's potentially going to push me beyond. Because my goal is to, at minimum, make it to, to the nighttime loops, which is on the road. Um, but ideally, would love to make this my first 100-mile experience. And so that could be, be calling a, a shot that I'm going to ethically fail at. But let's call him and see what we can do. Cool. Gratitude, community, and chasing limits. I love it. I think it's a good place to wrap. Elliot, this has been a blast yeah. and uh, can't wait to hear about your first 100 miler um, this yeah, weekend. absolutely. Absolutely, Jonathan. It was fun. Appreciate the pod. Appreciate what you do and appreciate the time. Awesome. Thank you. That's it for today's episode. Like many long runs, it's sad when it has to end. I hope you join in next time on For the Long Run. And in the meantime, happy trails. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean a lot to me if you shared it so that others can find it and enjoy it too. This podcast and the accompanying music has been produced by Brian Walters of Single Track Sound. For the Long Run's logo is created by Vanessa Wolf of Sterling Wolf. Show notes have been written by Ruby Wiles and is managed by Emily Holland. It takes a village. 